Hello and welcome to another episode of Pod Civility. I'm Robert Daniel. I'm Sarthik Sharma. This week on the pod, Comey, Comey, Comey. Comey, Comey, Comey. There are so many other things going on, but this is kind of just dominated the news cycle. It's the Russian bear in the news cycle currently, and it's dominating all conversation topics. Where we left you last. In our last episode, we left you with Sally Yates taking on Ted Cruz and testifying about the relationship Michael Flynn had um, with the Russian ambassador, ambassador Sergei Kislyak, who will obviously come back um, into this story later. Those were those were such good times, such innocent times compared to where we're living in today. The world seems upside down. Sally Yates was holding it upside right, and then all of a sudden things went south. Why did they go south? Well, um, it depends on who you ask, Sarthik. I feel like really we need to go back in time. We should we should we should time travel in this pod. The year was 2016. It was a good year. Well, I, well, it, it was a year. It was actually a terrible year. It was, it was it was a year. But if we go back to the summer of 2016, James Comey was investigating. Yes, that James Comey was investigating Hillary Clinton's um, use of a private email server and the use of classified information on those emails. That really dominated the news cycle, at least in terms of. Uh, how it related to Hillary Clinton and her campaign. James Comey had a press conference where he said that he hadn't found any um, wrongdoing or any conscious wrongdoing, and we thought the issue had gone away. Right, and we really thought that, I think this was in late October, around October 28th, very close to the election, a week before the election, and he explained how uh, it's normally not something that the FBI does, which is to comment on ongoing investigations, especially as they lead to uh, being so close to an election, but he did it anyway, and he caught a lot of flack from the Democrats. But he didn't catch a lot of flack from Republicans, who loved what he had done. They, uh, including Donald Trump, remarked upon his incredible courage. Wait, Donald Trump was excited that James Comey released this information about Hillary Clinton? He was, Sarthic. Do we really have any proof, though? How do we know this is not just the fake news reporting another alternative fact? We have the receipts, folks. Here they are. It took guts for Director Comey to make the move that he made in light of the kind of opposition he had. He brought back his reputation. He brought it back. He's got to hang tough because there's a lot of, lot of people want him to do the wrong thing. What he did was the right thing. Fast forward to May 9th, and what he did was no longer the right thing? It was the wrong thing? It Having was, guts was the wrong thing? It was why Donald Trump decided to fire the FBI director, James Comey, for the same reason that he was applauding him in the last clip? But I listened to the White House press conference that day. That's not what I, what I remember hearing. I heard a completely different story. The wonderful White House press corps, which includes the ever-incredible press secretary, Sean Spicer, had a different line. Here's what they said. I think the president was uh, given a recommendation by the deputy attorney general who the FBI director reports to. I would point them to the three letters that were received today, Anderson, the letter by President Donald Trump, the letter by Attorney General Sessions, and really the underlying report by Deputy Attorney General Rod Rosenstein. To accept the recommendation of the Deputy Attorney General, by accepting the recommendation of the Deputy Attorney General to remove uh, Director Comey as the head of the FBI. Okay, three things. One, Bless Sean Spicer, because that man has easily the hardest job that has ever been around. Two, where in the world is Kellyanne Conway? Does she just peep out of like a small hole every every few months these days? I think they put Kellyanne Conway the same place that Sean Spicer is, the bushes. The bushes. Uh, and three, I have no idea what Pence just said. That made no sense. He just repeated himself in the Multiple same Multiple times to try and sign, sound reassuring. I'm not sure. Um, but so the, the official line after he was fired was that Rod Rosenstein, the then um, Deputy Attorney General, was um, writing a letter that recommended that James Comey should be fired because he had lost the confidence of the FBI due to his handling of the Hillary Clinton email controversy. Which sounds... To say mildly ridiculous, because you had so you had Donald Trump saying on tape 
to his supporters that it took guts for James Comey to do what he did. And then uh, even his future Attorney General Jeff Sessions applauded uh, the the work that James Comey had done on the Clinton investigation. And I think it goes without saying that Jeff Sessions as Attorney General is the boss of Mr. Rosenstein. That is correct, although he has recused himself from any dealings involving the Russia investigation due to his own contacts with Sergei Kislyak. Right, so we have all these dueling narratives of why James Comey was let go. All of this happening uh, simultaneously, but then also happening in the backdrop of the past few months where you had uh, Democrats asking Comey to resign. You had Democrats wanting Trump back then to fire James Comey. So with that all kind of being the background for this, why now were the Democrats upset that James Comey was fired? Well, I think a lot of it has to do with the fact that James Comey was actively investigating the Trump administration and Trump presidential campaign's connection and possible collusion with um, the Russian government. So I think with that, what's really important to understand is that Donald Trump can or, or could fire James Comey. James Comey was basically an at-will employee that served at the pleasure of the president. So you could have let him go whenever he wanted for no reason at all. It's certainly within the law. The, the president has the authority to do this, but it's rare. The precedent for firing a sitting FBI director, I believe it's only happened once in our history. Right, and that so, was after a long, a long ethical investigation into that FBI director. So it's not really about can you do it, right? It's about the, the optics of it. It's not about can you do it. Legally, he can absolutely do this. The optics are, and the important question is, what are the true motivations behind him doing what he is lawfully allowed to do? Should he do it? He should not do it. And here's why I think he shouldn't do it. If you're innocent, um, you should. This, this gives you a sense of, it, it makes you look as if you're trying to cover something up. Or you might be firing James Comey because he was investigating you, or because he was leading um, you know, a, a, an examination of your potential ties with Russian officials. And I think of all the narratives that are dueling in this sphere, that right there is what has really come to the forefront. Where, you ha where the sitting president has fired the FBI director just as the FBI director was in the midst of investigating the person, the president, that fired him. And this comes after a week of testimony where Sally Yates talked about how she had warned the um, administration about Michael Flynn's possibly being compromised by um, Russian officials due to his contacts with Sergei Kislyak. Was there anyone that didn't tell Trump about Michael Flynn? I feel like everyone came out of the woodwork to let him know not to take on Michael Flynn. The, you're never going to be able to explain with any logic why Michael Flynn was ever hired. He has brought on so much controversy and so many problems for this administration that he should have never been hired. And yet, there he was. So, with you know, that's a lot of background for why this firing occurred. There's, it's still not really clear because then Donald Trump went on with Lester Holt and said that this was already in the works. It wasn't anything about the uh, assistant attorney general, or any of the memos, anything like that. This was this has been in the works. There were a lot of narratives, but then one narrative trumped them all. Monday, you met with the deputy attorney general Rob Rosenstein. Right. Did you ask for a recommendation? Uh, what I did is I was going to fire Comey. My decision. It was not. You had made the decision before they came uh, in. The I, I was going to fire Comey. He made a recommendation, but regardless of recommendation, I was going to fire Comey, knowing there was no good time to do it. And in fact, when I decided to just do it, I said to myself, I said, you know, this Russia thing with Trump and Russia is a made-up story. It's an excuse by the Democrats for having lost an election that they should have won. This was an excuse for having lost an election. But are you angry, angry with Mr. Comey because of his Russia investigation? I just want somebody that's competent. I am a big fan of the FBI. So Donald Trump says that he wants someone that's competent. James Comey has been a consummate, competent professional in the entirety of his career. He made a, a questionable move last year. Before that move... He has a pretty perfect record. Yes, and, and both sides, both on the Republican and the Democratic. So it's hard to see on paper 
what the reasoning could be for a sitting Republican president to fire James Comey. James Comey worked uh, for Republicans before. He undoubtedly at least helped somewhat, if not a lot, uh, helped get President Trump elected, right? But now we're sitting here and James Comey is no more uh, in terms of his position with the FBI. So all of this kind of boils down to what happens next. And what does happen next? Well, this is where the dreaded I word comes in, right? Some people are talking about it. The I word's impeachment. If for some reason you have not been listening over the last few days. Or your phone's been on airplane mode. And which my phone actually had been on airplane mode for most of the last week. Just got back from vacation. Oh, wow. Humble brag there. Uh, just, a, just a slight humble brag. I'm not going to lie. It felt kind of nice to... To be unplugged from everything going on. You picked a heck of a week to unplug. I, I picked a, a crazy week. Um, and, and a lot a lot has happened. And it's hard to keep track of the timeline. But what is definitely important is what comes next. I think that the next few months are going to represent maybe some of the most dramatic months of the Trump presidency. Which is shocking to say just over about 100 days in. Yeah, what we've seen over 100 days is incredible. And going forward... Um, and we'll get we'll get to this a little bit later with the appointment of a special prosecutor, but not even looking months ahead. Let's just look back at the timeline at what happened the next day after Donald Trump fired James Comey. Donald Trump invited Sergei Kislyak and Sergei Lavrov, the Russian foreign minister and the Russian ambassador, into the Oval Office for a meet and greet, which is ridiculous. The timing is terrible. You're a politician, for God's sakes, and you just fired someone investigating you for connections into Russia, and the very next day, you're not going to Disney World, you're inviting the Russians into your Oval Office. And that's just not a good look. It defies logic. Right, like, I, I want to definitely try to see Trump's side of this, or the Republican side of this, but it's really hard, because... These moves take away from a lot of what's going, what other things are going on in the country. And Trump's logic and the Republican logic was that um, when Rex Tillerson had traveled to Russia, um, he had had an opportunity to meet with Vladimir Putin. Um, and so Vladimir Putin called Donald Trump and said, Donald, uh, Sergi, um, the two Sergis are going to be in Washington. It would make me happy if you would invite them to the Oval Office. And Donald Trump obliged. And so they came shocker. into the Oval Office. I know, shocker. It just, it's such a bad look. It's like this is a novel or a Tom Clancy book. I mean, you, you can't... But, well, at the same time, though, flip side of that, Trump could still say that this is all happening on one side. He still has to, you know, keep relations with other countries ongoing. Which Russia is true. Russia happened to be the country at that time. Which is true. And the, the timing may make it look worse than it actually is. Um, but the headline coming out of that meeting wasn't just the timeline... It was the conversation that Donald Trump had with the two Russian officials in the Oval Office. When Donald Trump met with those two officials, it later became clear, um, the Washington Post, I believe, broke this story, that he had leaked um, code word classified information to the Russians. So uh, on this note, I want to kind of diverge a little bit from our this, this storyline that we've been on. And maybe, maybe vent, maybe rant. I don't know what the right word is for this. I mean, whatever you got. So here's, here's, here's how I see it, right? I think a lot of people have been upset at Trump, including us, right? We are... You might have noticed a slight turn away from civility. Sure, we're definitely we, testing. We apologize testing for that. Well, I don't really apologize for we it. We do not apologize for We don't apologize for, for it. Um, I think it's important to take some emotional stances once in a while. And in this case, my emotional stance is a little bit against outlets like the Washington Post. And maybe that's a little bit shocking, but hear me out. Color right? me shocked. So every, these days, every day, my phone is working overtime, pushing news messages to me. It's like every morning I wake up and there's 10, 15 of those. And every that's, time- That's the terrible culture we live in. This week has been a really good week for push notifications and a really terrible week for everyone who reads push notifications. That's, I think that's a fair comment. Uh, with that being said, when I've opened up, so the Washington Post, the LA Times, the New York Times, and I will read a headline, and it'll be something ridiculous, something insane. Uh, you know, Trump cited as screaming at Jared Kushner, uh, White House staff looking for other jobs, Sean Spicer in the bushes, but which that one that actually one, is just, that's not a contested. That's, that's real, folks. Right? Um, and then you'll see things like Trump uh, uh, being told by Putin what to do. 
you see all these headlines and if you look at each headline you think to yourself this this is it this is as bad as it gets this is the worst of times. And and I think a classic example of exactly what you're talking about was on Saturday Night Live this past Saturday. They mocked the Lester Holt interview that we just had a clip of you, clip of the interview for um, all the listeners here. And in that clip on SNL, the the, Les, the actor playing Lester Holt um, stops and says, "Did I get him?" Right. Is exactly. This, is this That's the exactly moment? It. Is this the moment where everything's you know coming to fruition and we'll finally talk about the I word and. It seems like every, it seems like so, not every, so many news outlets are looking for that silver bullet to hang their hat on, to kind of put in their pistol, um, with Fox News being the buffer, the, the wall that Trump has built, uh, along with Breitbart he and does Info love those Wars, walls. right? Um, but what's happening is when I read these headlines, I'm thinking, whoa, this is big news, this is going to be trending, hashtags everywhere, memes everywhere. But then I see, I notice the lonely comma. It sits there at the end of each of these headlines. And then right after that comma, I see something like a secret report indicates, a leak indicates, unnamed source and anonymous source indicates. When I see that, the whole kind of uh, structure that that headline had built up in my mind of what's going on crumbles because of all the distrust that exists of, uh, against Donald Trump, against the Republican Party, um, against really just pick whatever segment of government you want, none of that distrust is as high as the amount of distrust against the news media. So they are the last bastion, the last estate that gets to use anonymous sources anymore. It was fine uh, back in the era of Nixon, you had Deep Throat. Right, you had the second highest ranking official in the FBI leaking anonymous information. But at that time, the news media was way more trusted than what it is now. And a lot less sensationalist. Right, and it, it was less about those gotcha moments. And it was less about viewership. It was less about ratings. Right, and, and to the, the credit of people back then too, they were tuning into the news to get information and get some analysis, not to just uh, go ahead and listen to sensationalized headlines. That's a whole maybe separate podcast. rant to have, right? Maybe a whole separate podcast. Uh, but at least, at, so at this point, it just seems like when that when I see that comma and I see some kind of anonymous report, why should I believe it? Because that to me is the same as Trump saying something outlandish and then ending it with many people have said. Or believe me. And maybe there's this weird phenomenon where the news has become a little Trumpified. Right? Like, I feel like this is similar to if I went to a bar to try to, like, pick someone up. What? You know, no, listen, to try to pick someone up. And I was telling her, I am the best date, many people have said. But I have no one around me to actually back up my claims. But there I am. Like, that's what's out there. And she has to believe me for what reason? Right? That's how I see it with the news media. They have taken such hard stances. Uh, you, know, you have your MSNBCs towards the left side, the Fox News of the world to the right side, that it just seems like there's no reason to believe it. And in these, you know, everyone's talking about the I word, the impeachment proceedings that could happen. Doesn't that just then boil down to he said, she said, when you just have anonymous sources on both sides, no one has the guts to come out and say that, look, I'm... Kellyanne Conway, I have been standing behind the doors of the White House leak information, you know, to uh, the Washington Post, or whoever it is, whoever it might be. I'm not saying it's Kellyanne Conway. It's Kellyanne Conway. It's, we know it is. We're going to get a cease and desist letter. Sorry, Kellyanne. Uh, but that, well, you know, rant over. Right? That, that, was my, that was my soapbox moment for going against the news media that maybe we're slightly trying to become a part of. That's, that's a fair point, and that's a good soapbox. Um, and with that being said, though, there seems to be some credibility to the article that came out about Trump disclosing classified information. Um, and the way the article um, detailed it is, it is that Trump was kind of bragging about how he had this great intelligence to um, the foreign minister of Russia and then the ambassador from Russia to the United States. And which, there, there are a few problems with that. There are a lot of problems with that. And... It, 
Well, first of all, one, it's easy to see how Donald Trump might do that. You know, the man is, it seems to be easily susceptible to flattery. And even if you are still maybe part with me on my soapbox about not believing these new news outlets, Trump pretty much uh, went ahead and gave credence to that by saying that he has the ability to declassify anything, right? And, that kind of backs and, up. And again, he does have the legal authority. When someone leaks classified information and they're an ordinary person, well, they broke the law. When someone talks about classified information and reveals it, the president has the authority to declassify. He's the commander in chief. With he gets just, to do that with just simply saying it out loud. Um, is and normally there's a process that's followed, and agencies will weigh in on the merits of disclosing information or not disclosing information. Um, but he doesn't have to follow this process. Well, he shoots He's, from the hip, right? He shoots from the hip. And in the Oval Office, um, he wanted to impress a few friends. Um, and so the, it later came out that the intelligence he passed on was Israeli intelligence um, about a human source that was in ISIS. So to put that more into perspective, the Trump White House, the United States government, was given information from one of our great allies, Israel, about a potential threat by ISIS, by terrorists, is one of the reasons for the laptop ban uh, that might go into effect in more countries than the eight or ten that, that already have the ban. Uh, so that information was given to the U.S. government, and it was valued so highly that the Israelis and the U.S. government at the time decided not to share it, even with their other close allies. Exactly. The information wasn't even shared with some of our closest allies, like Great Britain or Australia or Canada or, or you know other countries that we have what's called a Five Eyes Treaty with, where there are five countries that share all of their signals intelligence. Um, we did not share it with them. So, so, so color these agencies surprised when this information was first shared with a country that has a long history of not being great allies of Israel. In fact, Russia is obviously a close ally with Iran. Um, they're both working on the same side of the conflict in Syria. And obviously Iran, as Benjamin Netanyahu will tell you, is the arch nemesis of the Israeli state. So... Yes, Donald Trump could declassify that information. Should he have declassified that information? Because here's, here's the thing, right? So on the surface of it, that's what it looks like. It's Trump declassifies information and Israel maybe isn't a fan of it. But it has deeper uh, effects because we don't know what's going on within the Israeli intelligence, intelligence infrastructure. But what is clear to see is if a country can't trust you with their most highly regarded secrets, they're, they're, not, prob right. they're probably not gonna tell you those secrets going forward. Right, and so that reduces our ability to one, help that country, and two, help ourselves, protect ourselves from that threat that could, uh, that could be looming. One of the most frustrating things about this article to me is that it just shows a, a degree of aloofness from the president or carelessness. You know, it does not take a genius to realize that he should not be talking about um, information that's disclassified or information that came from Israel um, that, that we didn't collect ourselves with someone who might be willing to compromise that source. Um, why doesn't he just talk about the weather and call it a day? Why does he feel this need to, to impress um, or to talk about um, these highly classified details with the Russians? Well, and... With that being said, maybe that's not the impeachable offense. That's just another, you know, another event in a long line of events that we've had over the last few months that have a snowball effect of helping prop up a lot of the charges against him as just being not completely competent for the position he's in. Exactly. I think this incident testifies more to a sense of just um, inability for the president to kind of get down into the details of the office and um, to read the, you know, long, long, complex briefing articles before he meets with the Russians and then, you know, execute um, the proper policies in front of those people that safeguard our interests and the interests of our allies. But doesn't that just sound like the reason why he still talks about the election? Right, like it wasn't wasn't the peak of his presidency on election day? Absolutely, this president is all about winning, and that was his he biggest win. Right, well, that was really Basically, one of his only wins. He, he hasn't had many wins since, like the border. So going down that list, you know, the the border wall still there's no sign of that. The budget that was passed, 
specifically said it can't fund the border wall. It didn't fund infrastructure. There's no tax reform bill. Healthcare had been a joke until it was passed by a Republican majority in, in the, the House the second time around. And the Senate will kill the bill. Yeah, they, the they, Senate is just going to rewrite not, it. They're going to rewrite the bill. They're not going to pass the House bill. And so he has not won a policy um, victory right, he in his presidency. Right, he complained. So he then resorted to the executive orders, which he lambasted President Obama about. Um, but then his executive orders, the ones that had teeth to it, have started to be stricken down by the courts. You know, the Ninth Circuit struck it down, the Fourth Circuit's looking at executive orders. So there's a lot on his plate that he has had to deal with, um, aside from these offenses that have been detailed regarding the Comey situation. I certainly think that this episode is just indicative of that kind of aloofness and that lack of... Is it because we kind of sound aloof? I feel like we've been talking about a lot of topics all we, the Well, time. it's just it's just hard to keep up with all of these things. So where do we go from here? Well, I'll tell you where the week went. Um, where did the week go? After, <laughs> where did this week go? I mean, honestly, um, Donald Trump swallowed this week. He swallowed every news cycle. Um, after the meeting in the Oval Office. It's, it's almost like he has some tapes of all of the things going on this week. Well, he claimed to have tapes in a tweet of conversations with James Comey um, before he fired James Comey. That sounds a little bit scary. That sounds a little bit... It's kind of a veiled it's threat. Some, like, was it veiled? How veiled? It was a pretty thin veil. It was one of those tweets where you're like, are Twitter fingers going to turn into trigger fingers? Ooh, uh, that's a deep Drake reference. That's all the Drake fans out there. Shout out, shout out to Drake fans on the pod. But James Comey certainly felt the heat, and later he got the he got the chop. Um, but after Donald Trump revealed after he after he went soprano <laughs> uh, and revealed classified information as well, James Comey um, was quoted, or an article quoted that James Comey had created detailed memos detailing every conversation and interaction he had with the president. I want to imagine States. I want to imagine James Comey with a fountain pen and having taken multiple calligraphy classes I, writing writing the title Comey's Revenge I, in all <laughs> cursive 72 point font at the top of each I, of those I want to imagine him walking into his house up to his private study, putting on his favorite Thomas Jefferson wig or whatever it may be, sitting, sitting in, down. <laughs> Dear diary, oh, this evening Donald Trump in that in that obstructed my justice. And my goodness, these these memos, these diary uh, entries had a lot to say. We don't quite know the full contents yet. Um, I'm quite confident that they'll um, be released in a trickle, but we do have details of a conversation that happened in the Oval Office between James Comey, our fallen hero, and Donald Trump, our aloof president. In that conversation, um, Donald Trump told James Comey, and I'm paraphrasing here, I hope you can see your way uh, to not investigate this Flynn thing, essentially. Now, that's not the direct quote, but... He is, it's the gist of it. The it's the, of the gist. Quote. It's certainly the spirit of the Donald Trump quote. Donald Trump's a hard man to get the words perfectly right because they seem to make no sense when you put them together the way he does. So there were a lot of times in law school where I would look at a professor and say, I hope you can see it to give me a really good grade in this class. Those weren't a threat because I was in no position to threaten. Yeah, you were just an ordinary student. But Donald Trump is no ordinary man. He's the president of the United States. He's, he's the boss. He's the boss. He's the man, the commander-in-chief, and also the man who can fire James Comey, as he later did. And, and that right there is the gist of the problem, right? It wasn't, so a lot, of, a lot of what I've heard from the other side, and at first glance, maybe it makes sense, is, well, they're just having a conversation, and Donald Trump is someone who values loyalty. Michael Flynn's been loyal to him. Maybe it's one of the reasons why Trump... Uh, didn't listen to the haters and and did go ahead and still employ Flynn uh, and was just looking out for him, saying to Comey, hey, I hope you can kind of find it in your heart to, to not go forward with this. That's what maybe on the outset some people may see that as. You might, you might think that, but one of the interesting caveats to this story is that Jeff Sessions and Mike Pence were also in the room. And before Donald Trump had this conversation, the memo that James Comey wrote details that he asked Mike Pence 
and Jeff, Jeff Sessions to leave the room. Apparently Jeff Sessions actually didn't want to leave the room, uh, wanted to hang out a little bit more. Maybe as the Attorney General, he probably thought that, well, he this should, doesn't he seem like... be in the room when yeah. things are being discussed. Also, he could be a stage five clinger. We don't know. He, he could be a stage he five He looks clinger. like it. He, he looks like it. Beauregard does kind of look like a stage five clinger. But, and I'm sure his, uh, his I'm sure he is now definitely following the pod. Uh, yeah, as and he is basically arresting everyone in the United States. Uh, if you're listening, if you're listening, Jeff, I hope you're enjoying tonight's episode. Hey, so with, with that though, with that being said, so Trump has this private now private conversation, which isn't a good setup. When it's you not, have to ask people to leave the room, you're either breaking up with someone or you're about to chew them out about something. Like something bad is happening. And Sarthik's not speaking from personal experience. I, I'm, I'm He's not. not. I'm, I'm not. But I am. I, <laughs> no, it's fine. It's fine. But so Donald Trump had this private conversation. And in the conversation, that's what he said. He asked him to be able to see it, you know, to see it not to go forward with uh, the investigation into Flynn, which puts Comey in a bad light. It, it puts him in a bad situation. And it puts him in a tough spot because now his boss, the person who can terminate his job, um, has asked him to do something that might not make a lot of sense if you're trying to pursue an honest, open, and just investigation into someone who might or might not have broken uh, federal law. And this is all on the heels of the dinner that Comey and Trump had where Trump asked for what really amounted to be a loyalty pledge. I mean, it's like we're, it's like the mob is running the, running the presidency here. You know, or you it's like dinner. someone that, or it's like someone that has never held a leadership post ever, has now become the leader of the free world, and kind of has to figure out what's happening. I right? think like, that's yeah. what that sounds. like. I mean, like. I think that's it. Sounds like that. It also is something that shouldn't surprise us because this comes from a man who seems to only hire his family. Um, right, and that's got its own problems. That's got Kushner, the land deals. Ivanka being so close to the, the, those are his own problems, but with Comey, so after Comey didn't agree to the loyalty pledge, he said, "Well, all I can say is I'll be honest." Um, and then Trump actually very wryly asked for uh, honest loyalty, which, which I don't know what that means. Is a classic Trumpism that is kind of <laughs> is impressive. that the art of the deal? Is it's that the art of the deal? Loyalty. I don't know what that means. Are you honest to the truth? Like, are you loyal to the truth or are you loyal to the man? I'm not sure. It's it's maybe one of those classic Trump phrases that will probably outlast his presidency, like alternative facts. Yes, and fake news. And fake news. Certainly, those, believe me. Those will be those will be the his you know gifts that keep on giving in the common vernacular. So here we are, May 18th, 2017, recording this. Everything around us, every news outlet is talking about impeachment. Either they have some expert on saying it's not possible, someone saying it's unlikely, some some experts saying it's happening. What does it all mean? Where well, are we really going with this? One of the classic things that people are talking about is that one of the first charges against Richard Nixon when he was impeached was for obstruction of justice. Which uh, is a pretty broad term. It is a broad term, and, and it's, it's difficult to define in this sense, what obstruction of justice would you means. Would you say firing the person leading an investigation could be obstructing justice? It certainly could be, but it also means, you know, it's just... But it's about... But see, okay, so obstruction of justice does sound broad. Yes. Yes. And it might sound really simple. If you, if you do anything and it obstructs justice, guilty of obstruction of justice, but it is more difficult than that. Because the hard part is, and, and the reason that you don't see a lot of people in high office uh, guilty of obstruction of justice, is because you have to also prove intent. And that's why I, I just I brought up the fact that he asked the two people to leave the Oval Office, Jeff Sessions, um, as well as um, the Vice President, Michael Flynn, because... Oh, Pence. Pence, I'm sorry. Michael Flynn, I just combined two... We don't know. Flynn's loyal. He there, might actually be the next... There's so many characters in this in this season of The Americans, I can't keep up. I thought we were watching House of Cards. It's hard honest. to tell. I, we, think honestly, we're, I think we're... Honestly, there's probably a, comp a pretty compelling argument that Mike Pence may be leaking all this information from the... From the Is White he making House a power move? Could he to, be making the power move? To pull a Frank Underwood. In fact, I'm going to go ahead and give you that as a possibility hot take, folks. 
Mike Pence is the leaker in chief of this administration. Over under percentage that you think it is Mike Lee. 50 per, uh, Mike Lee. Uh, Mike Pence. <laughs> Who we will now call Mike, Mike Lee. Mike <laughs> That solid slip of the tongue there. Uh, 50%? 60%? I think it's over that. I mean, one of the things that is interesting, this is a complete aside, so apologize for people out there not following, but this week, just this week, Mike Pence created a political action committee. Is he running for office? I thought he was already in office. He is in office. Why does he need a political action committee? Maybe he expects to be the nominee in 2020. Have any reporters been pushed in front of a subway train? Do we know? We don't know, but there's always next episode next week. Yes. And so with all that said, coming back to what might happen next. The obstruction of justice claim doesn't seem to be going anywhere, to be honest. It's hard to prove intent. It's hard to prove intent. And it's even harder to prove intent when you have a Republican Congress, a Republican House and a Republican Senate. Um, it's certainly going to take something more than a conversation in the Oval Office, even if it's detailed, you know, completely by James Comey's memo. Um, it's going to take more than that. So let's say you get enough uh, Republicans in the House, since they have the majority, to come over to the Democratic side and go pro-impeachment. And they, so the House gets to bring, uh, like they have the constitutional ability to bring forth uh, impeachment proceedings against the president. So let's say they do that. The Senate is 0-2 all time in actually having uh, removed someone in the presidency from power, right? You had Andrew Johnson, uh, that, that did not work out. So it's just one of those things where usually, like Nixon, you'll have someone that resigns. goes ahead and resigns. Yeah. If, it's, if it's going that way, normally they resign, although Donald Trump doesn't strike me as the resigning type. Right, but well, with that being said, so Andrew Johnson and Bill Clinton both were acquitted by the Senate. So the Senate's 0-2, and in both of those instances, you had the opposing party that was in power. In this situation... It's the president's power. president's yeah, the, party it, is in control, so making need, it even more unlikely. Right, you need 67 votes from the Senate to remove Trump from power. So it's 66 would be the two-third, but since they're in power, Pence would just be the deciding vote. Which, funny enough, if you go House of Cards idea, oh then God. maybe he could go the other way. Now, that if that happens, folks... That's still hard. It's still hard to get 66. Yeah, that's uh, interesting to think about this. But you heard that one here first. You did hear that one here I first. Think, I Mike think. Pence, yeah, well, I haven't seen it anywhere else. Mike Pence casts the, the, the top. It goes, it does a veep and kind of goes the, the other way. Interesting. Uh, so, well, with that being said, I, there is, the way I see it, a much more plausible way of going about kind of at least not technically, but mostly symbolically removing Trump from power, right? So if you have your impeachment proceedings going forward, what that's going to do is over the next few months, let's say uh, you do have the special prosecutor, which we'll talk about here in a minute, uh, goes ahead and gives his recommendation for impeachment proceedings to begin. They happen, months go by. What that's going to do is already reduce his, uh, reduce Donald Trump's favorability ratings uh, in the eyes of the American people, and that's going to go right into the 2018 midterm election. Exactly, and I think that's probably the most important point to take away from this is the fact that um, one, a special prosecutor's been appointed, and that's going to mean this investigation drags on for a long time, which will continue to cloud the president and drive down his approval ratings leading into the 2018 midterm election. And all of the Republicans that sided with Donald Trump and you know, even after the Access Hollywood tapes, after a lot of the problems that came forward, after this, they've stuck by his side. When they enter the midterm elections, if Democrats take over and they have the majority in the House, they can uh, theoretically just become the wall that Trump maybe didn't want, right? They would just stop all the legislation going through and make Donald Trump theoretically a lame duck president in his first term. And I think that's actually a pretty likely scenario, to be honest. Also, you know, Donald Trump kind of has the feel of a lame duck president, even with Republican majorities in both the House and the Senate. Because the Republicans are so divided within themselves. Exactly. And because the administration can't put forth a cohesive message 
and stay on that message and promote policies. We, we're still waiting on an agenda. We can't get a news cycle about policy. There's been no news cycle about a tax plan. There's been no news cycle about a health care plan. Donald Trump has a tendency to dominate and derail news cycles with a morning tweet. And as people are listening to this, right, we have a government falling apart in Colombia. We have a health plan being worked on by the Senate right now. We have sweeping immigration uh, raids being conducted by immigration services. All of this is happening, but the news cycle, because of those ratings that we talked about earlier, they're not reporting on this, and you may not have heard about a lot of this. I mean, and there are other instances of, of things happening in the world that aren't getting coverage that people aren't thinking about because of the domestic news cycle has been so can, so focused on um, the James Comey firing and then the Russian investigation and the news of this week. I mean, just this week, um, the United States bombed a Syrian convoy in Syria, a direct attack on the Syrian military, which steps up and escalates um, that situation to a new realm that we haven't quite seen yet. You also had um, the, the leader of Turkey, Erdogan, come to Washington and Donald Trump have a press conference with him. Later that day, um, Erdogan's bodyguards were seen um, beating protesters. Um, Kurdish protesters that had lined up near the embassy. And if, um, you, well, and if you're listening to this podcast and you're a Trump supporter, you very likely are mad that we have spent this whole podcast talking about what we just told you the news has been busy talking about. But here's the thing. You are right. You have a legitimate reason to be upset because there are other things that the Republicans in the Trump White House have done that Trump supporters should be talking about, right? So the economy is up, the unemployment rate is down, illegal immigration is down, we have taken steps in Syria that the Obama administration didn't take uh, against uh, Assad there. So there are things that have been happening in the world that may favorably uh, be looked upon by Trump supporters, the Republican Party, and even a lot of, uh, of Americans, but, the other side of that issue is that Donald Trump is doing things that take that message and bury it deep, deep beneath all of his tweets. Some of these are self-inflicted wounds. Um, some basically of these, all of them. Basically I all think, of these are yeah. self-inflicted wounds. I mean, and, and we're not here, I mean, obviously what we've listed is a truthful assessment of some of the policy changes that Donald Trump has had that Trump supporters can obviously claim um, as policy victories, although, albeit they're small victories and certainly out, outshadowed by the other policy failures, including health care, um, the inability to pass tax reform, and the uh, immigration issues that are now tied up in the court with regards to the Muslim ban. But uh, but we can't talk about any of those things. We, we can't even get to a point where we're having a legitimate conversation about um, about tax reform, about whether we want to raise taxes or lower taxes on certain groups, whether supply-side economics is a legitimate theory to grow the economy. I mean, we're not even having that discussion because we can't even get to a place where the news will actually cover that. I'd love um, to have a, a podcast where we're talking about a lot of different topics each week, but it just seems like there's so much going on. Because when, you know, when the Trump presidency first started, you had some new thing coming out, usually maybe once a week. So you could talk about that for a little while and then get to some other topic. But now it's like every few hours. Now it's, it's at least twice a day. And even Susan Collins, um, one of the senators, I think from Maine, said, um, can we just have one week without a crisis? Um, Which is just, that's just telling. I mean, it is telling because there are other Republicans in the Senate who, who might have ideas on how to re rewrite this health care bill. Um, or might have ideas on to how to actually pass tax reform, um, and those aren't being discussed. Um, and rightly so. I mean, it's, it's important. I don't want to downplay the, the, the fact that Donald Trump fired a sitting FBI director who was investigating um, his campaign's connections to the Russians, the fact that he handed over or he disclosed classified information to Sergey Lavrov and Sergey Kislyak in the Oval Office, um, or the fact that Comey has these memos that detail Donald Trump possibly asking for loyalty or asking him to not investigate Michael Flynn. I don't want to downplay those, but also I, I do want to, you know, it'd be important, and it is important for this country to move on to a point where we can have a conversation about the policies. And I think 
one of the things that we haven't talked about yet is that um, just a few days ago, Rod Rosenstein, the acting attorney general, appointed a special prosecutor to investigate. Kind uh, of. Kind of. A special prosecutor light. Kind of. More a special counsel is what it's more. So Arch, I think Archibald Cox yeah. was the the kind of the original gangster of, of special prosecutors uh, that was appointed for Richard Nixon. And I believe Archibald Cox was removed by Richard Nixon. It was removed by Richard Nixon. So so that actually points out a potential problem that could we could see coming. Well, down we the have tracks. this statute. We have this statute that uh, was then later passed to protect special prosecutors that shielded them from just being fired. But, but what happened to that statute, Sarthak? Well, in a cruel twist of fate... A cruel twist of fate. The Democrats allowed that statute um, to lapse. And the reason they allowed that statute to lapse was because they were still hung over from the constant investigation into Bill Clinton's presidency, where an investigation... And isn't that just I mean, something... It's, there's this weird kind of interaction between all of these things, you know, Doc? Well, I think that kind of goes back to last week. I think uh, we talked about how people have short-term memories. People you, do have short-term memories. You just keep memories. switching back from different political parties, hoping for a different solution. I mean, I think that's true. I, I um, think... But regardless, a special prosecutor, Bob Mueller, who served as FBI director um, for a full term of 10 years and then for a special term of two years um, under George W. Bush and under Barack Obama, um, has now been appointed as a special counsel to investigate this. There's very little, if anything, to criticize about Robert Mueller. That that man has done he, so much in the most professional way. He, he is regarded highly by both parties. In fact, this might be a move that is, in a way, um, in the short term, good for Donald Trump because I do think this move will um, might cool some of the congressional investigations because there will be a point where um, they people who are possibly subject to investigation by the special prosecutor, special counsel, um, will not want to um, have to go in front of Congress and claim the Fifth Amendment to say something that might later incriminate themselves in the special counsel's investigation. And that sounds great. That sounds rosy. It sounds like, hey, that's what we want to happen. But on second thought, because that statute lapsed, this doesn't really do that much aside from some symbolism because at the end of the day without the protection of the independent counsel law trump can just order rosenstein to fire mueller and then if rosenstein doesn't agree with that he can just fire rosenstein yep. and just put someone else in exactly. and fire mueller right there's just firing going on whenever trump wants and he's shown that he doesn't need to hesitate to let someone go the man does shoot from the hip and he will fire people. Um, but obviously there would be a political price to pay if those measures were taken. Um, the news cycles would be just vicious, um, and people would really begin to suspect the motives behind those decisions. I mean, if you're shopping for um, the right special counsel to come to the right conclusion, that's a pretty, a pretty good sign of potential guilt, or at least um, a guilty conscience, um, or a a, a very large fear of potential prosecution. Now, Congress, Congress could go ahead and and get that law back into uh, circulation. You know, only a special prosecutor appointed under the like the independent counsel law can both safely investigate those allegations and prosecute if necessary. Nothing short of that can do it. So. The pressure has to be on Congress. This is something that you don't really hear in the news media just because it's a little bit complicated. Um, it doesn't have that that hype of a quick headline. Uh, but there needs to be pressure on Congress to pass this law or to get this law back into circulation to allow a real investigation to take place. But even if they pass that law, wouldn't the law just go to the president's desk to be signed? Well, yeah, I mean, that's a little detail, right? A slight small detail that Donald Trump would still then have to approve the statute. There would be a substantial amount of political pressure for him to do that, obviously. And also, it would be good for the country if a man who claims his innocence and claims no connection would sign it and would allow a special prosecutor or special counsel to look into it. If he has nothing to hide, he should be um, acting with his arms a little more I think open. he would veto it just so he could have another one of those ceremonies where he holds up his signature, uh, <laughs> surrounded by a lot of people. I mean, he does love the crowds, if anything. So now uh, this has left us 
with the kind of end of a news cycle that's had just a, a pretty vicious toll on all those consuming the news in America. I mean, it's just been hard to keep up. Um, but what we are left with is Donald Trump leaving the country um, later this week. On not, first, not for why you think. He's not, not, he's not leaving, he's, leaving. He's not leaving, leaving. He's, he's going just, on his first foreign trip. I mean, it's not Mar-a-Lago, but he is leaving. He's going on his first trip abroad. Um, he'll stop in Saudi Arabia, where he'll give a speech about the future of Islam that we're very excited to hear him um, give. And then he'll I thought to, the future of Islam was that it just shouldn't be allowed in this country. Uh, right? Like, was, Wasn't that the, the stance that was being taken? Maybe he'll try to bring a Muslim ban to Saudi Arabia. That would be... Uh, that would be, that would be would, slightly hard to, to Pretty Pretty impressive. Sure. I do think he'll be taken aback by the uh, rich, luxurious, golden palaces that the Saudi kings have. So that will be interesting. And there's a, there's a strange uh, uh, domestic dynamic with the Saudi trip because the Saudis are trying to determine who will be the next... Um, leader or prince of Saudi Arabia. They're two vying, two politicians or princes trying to vie for that spot. And then I believe he's headed to Israel. He's and headed to Israel well, after that. Um, the country this is supposed to be a Mideast peace tour, right? He's going to bring about Mideast peace. What could possibly go wrong? He's meeting with Benjamin Netanyahu. He'll be meeting with Abbas. Um, and then he'll obviously um, have to kiss the, the ring of Benjamin Netanyahu and apologize for disclosing um, Israel's most That's secret. absolutely not going to happen. It, it won't happen. Donald Trump doesn't do that. Um, but he will certainly have to come to terms with the fact that he disclosed very, very um, valuable secret Israeli intelligence to an adversary of Israel. Are we going to see another headline that says something outrageous like Netanyahu shouts at Trump, comma, anonymous source indicates? I'm hoping for an anonymous source headline this week of a fist fight between Benjamin Netanyahu and Donald Trump. A fist fight? That's, that seems a little... Okay. If you're playing Donald Trump bingo at home, I'm looking for that fist fight spot to be covered after this trip. Um, after Israel, he'll head to Belgium where he'll contemplate withdrawing from NATO. Just kidding. But he will give a speech about America's role in NATO and the future of NATO. So that will be another interesting thing to watch. Uh, what will be most interesting to see is does the man t live tweet this trip? Um, does he talk about having delicious chocolate cake in the desert of Saudi Arabia at the prince's tent? I'm not sure, but we'll, uh, we'll be back next week with more information on that. As always, um, thank you for listening to another episode of Pod Civility. If you like this episode... Please subscribe. Or you moderately like this episode... Even if you just don't like it at all, maybe you want to listen to us to shout at us. That's fair. That's well, a, that's therapy. You could even you can you can write a review in iTunes. You can do um, however you listen to podcasts. You can share it with your friends. We um, and we are also on SoundCloud as well. We're on SoundCloud. If you're not into iTunes podcasts, we're on SoundCloud. We're we're throwing out a lot of really techie phrases. I feel like SoundCloud and and iCloud. Just so many different words. It's about that time. It's fine. It's right. You're. It's about that time. We'll see you guys next week on okay. Possibility.